Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 539 for the 16th of April, 2017. This week, security and privacy are important parts of the Windows Creators Edition update that started being delivered to computers this week. We'll discuss that with Microsoft's Nick Fillingham. Adobe's Sensei technology is already being used in some applications. More are on the way, and one that's intended for smartphones may amaze you. In short circuits, the end of the Windows Vista era is here. As of last Tuesday, the operating system is no longer supported. Microsoft's Patch Tuesday occurred last week, of course, but Adobe was the real standout with patches that fixed 59 vulnerabilities in five products. In spare parts, only on the website, battling ransomware on Macs, Laptop Magazine has released ratings for the best laptops, and after seven years in first place, Apple is now fifth. And where to go if your computer develops a problem in Air, Scotland. The Creator's Edition of Windows 10 that Microsoft began pushing out to computers last Tuesday clarifies some security and privacy issues. It also gives users better controls over what information Microsoft collects. Microsoft Windows Product Manager for Small and Mid-Sized Businesses, Nick Fillingham, says that Microsoft collects information about how computers are used, when, and what problems they're experiencing. Many people seem to consider that to be spying, even though Microsoft collects no personal identification information. Fillingham says that only aggregated information is useful to the software engineers. The individual is not interesting. The people that use telemetry are our data scientists and our engineering team, and they're not interested in the individual. They're not even interested in small groups. They're interested in the aggregate. They're interested in what is happening at the tens of thousands, the hundreds of thousands, or the millions of user level. That's where they're able to actually gain insight and see where a particular trend may emerge. So for example, if you have a stability issue on your device, uh, you as an individual, um, from a data science perspective, that's not really very interesting. But if 10,000 people or 100,000 people have that similar stability issue, and our data science team are able to observe that and, and, and uh, as part of a trend through aggregated uh, data science, that's very interesting, and that's how data scientists can actually start to use this huge, huge collection of signals that come in to find out when they do need to instruct our engineering teams uh, to go and uh, address a, uh, a particular concern or a stability issue that may be in Windows. Microsoft's privacy statement for U.S. users is long, but written clearly. For the operating system, the statement says both cloud and local elements of Windows are updated regularly, providing you with the latest improvements and features. In order to provide this computing experience, we collect data about you, your device, and the way you use Windows. And because Windows is personal to you, we give you choices about the personal data we collect and how we use it. 
Additionally, Fillingham says that data from Windows computers is discarded as soon as it has been analyzed. We only collect what we need. We're not, again, think about that logistical challenge of hundreds of millions, if not billions of PCs. We don't want to collect a single bit of data that we don't need and that we can't use because that is going to be a, a massive operational challenge as well as being very, very expensive. Um, we process that data very quickly and then we delete it. Again, process it, extract the insight, and then get rid of it. We, we, we don't want to be storing all those millions and billions of records. Um, we limit access to a very, very small group of people inside of Microsoft that have access to that. Uh, and again, we have very strong legal protections on that data and, and uh, adhering to uh, local laws and privacy regulations. The term telemetry is used to describe the process of collecting data from remote sources. Those old enough to remember the Apollo 13 mission may remember that telemetry from the damaged spacecraft had to be shut down to conserve power. That left flight engineers in the dark. Fillingham has another way of looking at it. Telemetry is essential data necessary to provide uh, a service or to keep Windows or a particular app healthy. So it's kind of vital system data. You know, if, if you ever see uh, somebody in a hospital and they're hooked up to a heart monitor, that heart monitor, that heart rate, measuring the heart rate, measuring blood pressure, measuring oxygen levels, that's a kind of a good analogy for what is telemetry. The second question is, you know, well, what is not telemetry? Telemetry uh, is not your files that you store in OneDrive. It is not your uh, Bing search history. It is not uh, the content of an email that you send to a friend. It is things like, when is your computer turned on? When is your computer turned off? Are your drivers functioning well or are your drivers crashing? Um, is there a configuration of hardware on your device that is leading to instability? And so that's an idea of kind of what is telemetry. Um, and what does it do? Well, it helps keep Windows up to date. It helps keep Windows secure, reliable, and performant. And perhaps more importantly, it actually helps us improve Windows over time. Users can turn off some diagnostic data submissions, but not all. Microsoft recommends allowing the system to return full diagnostic data, which does not include personal identification information or any data. For example, if you have a backup application that starts crashing repeatedly, I'm looking at you, Acronis, here, Microsoft will receive information about the crashing program, but it won't receive any information about the data you're backing up. If you limit the diagnostic information, you also limit Microsoft's ability to work with hardware and software vendors to correct problems. The Privacy Panel has 18 tabs, from General and Location, to Notifications and Contacts, to Background Apps and App Diagnostics. When your computer upgrades itself to the Creator's Edition, you will be offered several Privacy Option settings the first time the new edition starts. By default, the settings you're offered, and most of the settings on the 18 privacy tabs, will be turned on. And this window here is a list of every single uh, setting that you have access to within the Windows 10 user experience that pertains to privacy, that pertains to how your data is used, how your data is collected, how your data and information is shared with apps, uh, and, and really giving you very, very granular control. Um, now, this is, the, this is what's available to the user in the, in the settings UX. Uh, all of this and more 
is available uh, for IT professionals through group policy and MDM. So we have some general privacy settings. Then we can talk about location, uh, the camera that may be built into your device and the microphones, uh, you know, which apps have access to use them and how that, that data gets used. Uh, settings around notifications, how uh, speech, inking, and typing uh, is, uh, is configured, um, your account information, uh, your contacts and which apps have access to that. Same with calendar, your call history, email and access for other apps to uh, see your mail and interact with your inbox, uh, messaging, the radio stacks in your computer, uh, other devices, Feedback and diagnostics, where you can actually set the telemetry collection level for your computer. So with Nick Fillingham, let's drill down to one of the tabs, location, and take a look. If I click on the location uh, setting under privacy, you'll see that there are, are quite a number of settings that I can turn on and off. Uh, and there's quite a few options here for me to change a particular policy or even clear some of the data that has been collected. This is obviously very important, your location uh, services, you obviously at all times have the ability to turn them on and off. Turning them on uh, just turns them on for Windows, you have to, re, you have to, to agree to turn uh, location access on for specific apps as well. But what's really interesting here is the, the, the actual location information that is captured uh, according to the, the settings and the, the configurations here in this particular window. Um, we're now, uh, through a new web dashboard called your privacy dashboard, we're now actually giving you better access to the uh, various information that has been collected from your PCs and devices and allowing you to both view that information uh, to see what has been collected and if, and if uh, necessary you can actually remove that. So sticking with the theme of location, we have this new privacy dashboard um, and the, the URL for that is, is account.microsoft.com slash privacy. My computer is a notebook device, but it's usually on my desk. The location service is enabled for the operating system, but individual applications also have to be given permission to use location information. Because the computer is stationary most of the time, I have set a default location, and if I look at the location history, it shows that the computer is always at that location. Cortana is turned on too, and she needs access to location history. I've also enabled location for Maps, Microsoft Edge, and Weather. An enormous number of applications are allowed to receive information, send notifications, and receive updates in the background. Turning these off when the computer is running on the battery could save power. The new Windows 10 privacy settings pane is worth spending some time in, and so is the new online security center. You can log in with your Microsoft account and better manage your information from there. You'll find a link to the online security center on the TechBiter Worldwide website. And Microsoft started pushing this update out to computers on the 11th of April. Last week I explained how Windows Pro users can delay the update and how any Windows 10 user can obtain the update immediately if it hasn't already been installed. Security and management are two of the key areas of improvement. For example, stronger protection against remote code execution in Edge and more capabilities in the Windows Defender Advanced Threat Protection. All users, even Windows 10 Home users, will be able to delay future feature updates by up to four months, and all but home users can delay security updates by up to 30 days. 
The new Cortana can help users set up their computers, and she can scan Outlook email messages and then set reminders. That feature is available only to users who explicitly opt in. It's turned off by default. There's a new 3D paint program in the Creator's Edition. How important this will be is yet to be seen. This feature fits in well with the mixed reality headsets that can appear to project digital images into the real world. This could be used to show someone what a remodeled kitchen would look like in the kitchen. The Edge browser can save and restore complete browsing sessions, but Edge is still weak when it comes to plugins. So if you prefer some other browser, Chrome or Firefox, for example, you'll probably stick with it. This is the second major Windows 10 update. The first was called the Anniversary Edition, and it had more major features. This version is actually less about creators and creativity, and it is about privacy and security. And maybe you're wondering how the updates went for me. Well, the secondary notebook system that's in the Windows Insider program was updated about two weeks before the general release, and everything worked as expected, even a complex application that sometimes has problems with Windows updates. My first real test case came on the Surface tablet, which is in use about six hours every day. The update took less than an hour, and there were no problems. The main computer, which I mentioned, is a notebook with four external disk drives and a network-attached storage drive, appeared to have stalled. Without any proof, I surmised that the problem was all that attached disk space. So I shut the computer down, powered down the external drives, rebooted, and ran the update. The process completed normally, but there was a problem. I run a disk image of drive C every Sunday with a Cronus True image. It was unable to find the destination disk drive, even though it had mounted properly, and Windows could see it. Any attempt to browse for the disk drive caused True Image to crash. I also run a second disk image of C every Wednesday with a Cronus True Image. When I started the application on Wednesday, it reported that an update was available, and after the update was installed, the backup ran normally. So I ran the missed Sunday backup on Wednesday, too. And now, all is well. And last, my wife's computer. You'll notice I leave the most important computer for last. If something goes wrong there, I'm in trouble. Her computer required a surprisingly long time to update, but the process ended successfully, and she has reported no problems. The TechBiter Worldwide website this week contains more than a dozen links to various blog posts, frequently asked questions sections, and white papers from Microsoft on Windows 10, on security, on privacy, and more. Check it out on the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. Adobe unveiled some new technology at last November's Adobe Max. The company does that each year to tease users by demonstrating yet-to-come features. One of these is called Sensei, and although it's not yet complete, it is closer and we can see how it might be used. At its most basic, Sensei is content intelligence, 
that examines and tags images, as well as making recommendations when a user searches for images. This leads to the ability to recognize a typeface and recommend similar typefaces. It allows modifying faces in photographs with subtle changes and even gives you the ability to classify regions of an image to allow selections. Some Sensei features are currently available in various Adobe applications, but the first significant consumer appearance is likely to be in apps for smartphones, probably Apple phones first and then Android phones. Check out the TechBiter Worldwide website for a preview. Sensei has implications for many of Adobe's applications, it's built on a unified artificial intelligence and machine learning framework. It includes services that are being introduced to Creative Cloud, Document Cloud, and Marketing Cloud. Adobe says that dozens of these intelligent services have been deployed so far, and more are in development. President and CEO Shantanu Narayan has characterized the new technology as being uniquely focused on solving complex experience challenges in graphic design, document design, and marketing, where Adobe has a lot of experience. In addition to its availability in Adobe's cloud offerings, Sensei will be available to partners and developers as an application program interface, so developers and system integrators will be able to use the technology and build new types of applications and solutions. If you'd like more information, see the Sensei section of Adobe's website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Short Circuits, speaking of Windows updates, and I was just a moment ago, support for Microsoft's second worst ever operating system has ended. Vista is no longer supported. Now why anyone would still be using Vista is a puzzle, but apparently some people are, even though it's much better replacement, Windows 7 was released on July 22, 2009. Coincidentally, support for Vista ended on the same day that the Windows 10 Creators Edition was released. So if you have a Windows Vista computer, what can you do? Well, you could continue running Vista, of course. Microsoft doesn't send little suction monsters around the Internet to suck the operating system out of the computer. But continuing to run Vista would be unwise if the computer is connected to the Internet because you'll no longer receive any security updates. How about open source? Many versions of Linux exist, and that's actually part of the problem with Linux. They're all similar, but each does some things in slightly different ways from the others. Open source applications are bountiful too, but commercial software is almost always better. And even Munich, Germany, which started switching from Windows to Linux in 2014, now plans to switch back to Microsoft operating systems and applications. The obvious update might be Windows 10, but that might not be the best choice. Your Vista computer was probably manufactured nearly 10 years ago. Windows 10 will undoubtedly run on the computer, but seriously, a better choice would be to just buy a new computer. An entry-level, low-end machine made this year will be far more powerful than a high-end machine from a decade ago, and it'll come with more modern video, USB 3 slots, and a faster disk drive. You might also choose Windows 7 or Windows 8. Finding a copy of either one of those will be somewhat difficult. That's 
because Microsoft would really like all users on Windows 10. Installing Windows 7 or 8 on a decade-old computer would have all the same complications as installing Windows 10. So if you want to keep the old system running, Linux might be the most secure option. Despite many advances, Linux is still more complex to set up and maintain for anybody who lacks experience with Linux or Unix. But before making that decision, check the prices on some of the new hardware. In addition to starting the Creator's Edition rollout on Tuesday, it was also the monthly Patch Tuesday for Microsoft, but the prize for the largest number of patches goes to Adobe, with patches to fix 59 vulnerabilities in five products. The five include the usual suspects, Flash Player and Adobe Reader, but also Adobe Campaign, Photoshop, and the Creative Cloud application. Those were also updated. Most of the bugs... 44 of them, according to Adobe, are characterized as critical, meaning that they could be used to execute malicious code on the user's computer. That is an uncommonly high number. Last month, for example, there were just six critical fixes. Why so many this month? Well, many of the vulnerabilities were revealed during the own-to-own -own competition in Vancouver last month. The competition is held at the annual CanSec West conference. Kaspersky Lab says users are being encouraged to update to the latest versions of both platforms for Flash Player and for Acrobat and Reader. And any users running pre-DC versions of the software, Kaspersky says, will want to make sure they update to the latest version, which is 11.0.20. Kaspersky also notes that two vulnerabilities were fixed in the Creative Cloud desktop app for Windows. Neither was critical but one of the vulnerabilities could lead to code execution and should be considered important. The other bug stems from improper resource permissions during the startup of some applications through Creative Cloud. You won't find any improper resource permissions in spare parts, which is only on the website. This week, battling ransomware on Macs, Laptop Magazine has released ratings for the best laptops, and after seven years in first place, Apple is now in fifth place. And where to go if your computer develops a problem in air, Scotland. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.